greatest weapon of all. First step to solving any problem is recognizing there is one. It's time we started this. Pain isn't something we thought. All we can ever do for our heroes is remember them. And they gave up two lives. The one they were living in and the one they would have lived. They gave up everything for our country, for us. They pray for freedom and justice. Some veterans not getting the timely care that they need. Less than 1% of Americans serving in uniform. Good news is, is that in recent years, we've made historic investments to boost the VA budget. What is it? Why should we care? We should care about press freedom because... Because we were informed. In democratic societies, free, diverse, and pluralist media enable public debates and are essential checks You don't look status. Let's discuss. Hey guys, welcome hey. to a bit of a podcast, a new episode, uh, uh, continuing our series on COVID. Uh, today we're going to talk about human rights and uh, current situation. Yeah, with this fun-filled virus of 2020. Yeah. And uh, like the message is uh, clear that uh, people and their rights must be in front and uh, center. It uh, doesn't matter if it's COVID or something else. And uh, human rights lens puts everyone in the picture and ensures that uh, no one is left behind. Human rights uh, responses can help beat the pandemic, uh, putting a focus on the imperative uh, on of healthcare for everyone, uh, which is not the case uh, here. And uh, the best response is uh, one that uh, responds proportionally to immediate threats while protecting human rights and uh, the rule of law. Yeah. So, without any further ado, let's go into the topic. So, the novel coronavirus has revealed a lack of resilience not only in our healthcare system and the economy, but also in our personal health. A lack of reliable information then led the world to a financial collapse of unnecessary proportions that are now threatening social security and civil liberties. So, how do we prevent this from happening? Uh, from worsening. How do we prevent this from worsening? So, of course, the number one thing of, of anything is always education. The quality of information we consume is, is crucial and critical. It can build us up or weaken our immune system the same way it can strengthen social stability or destroy it. The more informed we are, the better our decisions and quality of life. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes... Uh the catchy click and bait videos or like articles uh, on internet that pop up on our phones uh, uh, doesn't have much uh, arguments. A, yeah, credibility. Behind. Credibility. Uh, it definitely have uh, would have some kind of uh, an argument, but most of the time it's just a one-way argument. It's not a well thought argument, and uh, just a shout out, shout out uh, of. Uh, what will uh, hook you to continue watching or reading or get you pretty yeah. much emotional. Yeah, it's all about advertisement and mm -hmm. getting you to click to make money. So how do we trust the information we consume? Not relying on popular media, media channels is a great start. Independent media channels that don't capitalize on fear and ratings, but solutions and collaboration are great indicators of reliable data. Under the International Covenant of Economic and Social and Cultural Rights, which most countries have adopted, everyone has the right to the highest attainable standard of physical and mental health. 
governments are obliged to take effective steps for the uh, prevention, treatment, and control of epidemic, endemic, occupational, and other diseases. Yeah, and uh, here, of course, like we talk about uh, what uh, kind of uh, obligation can uh, a detail that a government agency can have, but you know, most of all, we got to start with uh, ourselves. Yeah. Even though, like we in this podcast, we're gonna focus on uh, uh, United Nations uh, uh, advices uh, how to deal with pandemic or some, uh, you know, big uh, political power organizations, uh, you know, ways of dealing with stuff. Yeah. So. The United Nations uh, Committee on Economic, Social, and Cultural Rights, which monitors state compliance with the covenant, has stated that the right to health is closely related to and dependent upon the realization of other human rights as contained in the International Bill of Rights, including the rights of food, housing, work, education, human dignity, life, non-discrimination, equality, the prohibition against torture, privacy, access to information and the freedom of association and assembly of movement. These and other rights and freedoms address integral components of the right to health. The right to health provides that health facilities, good and services should be available in sufficient quantity, accessible to everyone without discrimination and affordable for all even marginalized groups acceptable meaning respectful of medical medical ethics and culturally appropriate and scientifically and medically appropriate and of good quality yeah but those are the aspirations of uh un uh un committee yeah and aspirations for all of us really the syracusa principles adopted by the UN Economic and Social Council in 1984 and UN Human Rights Committee general comments on state of emergency and freedom of movement provide authoritative guidance on government responses that restrict human rights for reasons of public health or national emergency. Any measure taken to protect the population that limits people's rights and freedoms must be lawful, necessary, and proportionate. State of emergency need need to be limited in duration and curtailment of rights need to take into consideration the disproportionate impact on specific populations or marginalized groups. On March 16, 2020, a group of UN human rights experts said the emergency declarations based on the COVID-19 outbreak should not be used as a basis to target particular groups, minorities, or individuals. It should not function as a cover for reprehensive action under the guise of protecting health and should not be used simply to squash dissent. The Syracuse principles specifically state that the restrictions should at a minimum be provided for and carried out in accordance with the law, directed towards a legitimate objective of general interest, strictly necessary in a democratic society to to achieve the objective, the least intrusive and restrictive available to reach the objective based on scientific evidence and neither arbitrary nor discriminatory in application 
and of limited duration, respectful of human dignity, and subject to review. Yeah, those those are clear and um, powerful guidance uh, that can be applied to the situation. Uh, you know, the situation about the public gathering, about uh, wearing a mask, about uh, restricting uh, gatherings of people. Uh, and about specific businesses businesses uh, having these or those events uh, so if you check you know any of those against one of those guidance and doesn't uh, you know comply or it does so it's easy to make an uh, informed uh, and thoughtful decision instead of being emotional of not being happy that uh, yeah you should do that or you cannot do that government should uh, fully respect the rights of to freedom of expression and access to information and only restrict them as international standards permit. And governments should ensure that the information they provide to the public regarding COVID-19 is accurate, timely, and consistent with human rights principles. This is it's important for addressing false and misleading information. Uh, easy to say them to do, I mm. guess. Ensure qua uh, quarantines, lockdowns, and travel bans comply with rights and norms. International human rights law, notably the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, the ICCPR, requires that restrictions on rights for reasons of public health or national emergency be lawful, necessary, and proportionate. Restrictions such as mandatory quarantine or isolation of symptomatic people must, at a minimum, be carried out in accordance with the law. They must be strictly necessary to achieve a legitimate objective based on scientific evidence proportionate to achieve that objective, neither arbitrary nor discriminatory in application of limited duration, respectful of human, uh, human dignity, and subject to review. Uh, broad quarantines and lockdowns of indeterminate length rarely meet these criteria and are often imposed precipitously without ensuring the protection of those under quarantine, especially at-risk populations. Because such quarantines and lockdowns are difficult to impose and enforce uniformly, they are often arbitrary or discriminatory in application. Yeah, um, also, you know, it's not obvious for people uh, that are right now in custody and in institutions. Um, how uh, they get treated or, you know, them being possibly exposed to uh, COVID-19 or any other infectious disease. Mm -hmm. So like other infectious diseases, poses a higher risk to the populations that live close proximity to each other. And, this, and, and it disproportionately affects older people and individuals with underlying illnesses such as cardiovascular disease, diabetes, chronic respiratory disease, and hypertension. 80% of the people who have died of COVID-19 in China were over the age of 60. This risk is particularly accurate in places of detention such as prisons, jails, and immigration detention centers, as well as residential institutions for people with disabilities and nursing facilities for older people, where the virus can spread rapidly, especially if access to healthcare is already poor. Yeah. Um, the other thing is uh, the economic uh, 
impact on uh, our day-to-day -day lives uh, is uh, significant. Uh, so uh, in US um, we uh, had uh, a bill uh, that uh, helped uh, relieve some of uh, the you know economic uh, impacts that we had on the economy but uh, you know also I think uh, it can be uh, done a little bit better uh, considering you know small or medium-sized businesses yeah. like you either some of them can stay open or maybe uh, you know have a more direct uh, um, help yeah so the government should take policy measures to buffer economic impacts of COVID-19 which will affect lower wage workers first and hardest Social distancing, quarantine, and the closure of business may have enormous economic consequences that we clearly still haven't seen yet. I don't think it's really played itself out yet. The most vulnerable people are low-wage workers in low-income households. Governments should create mechanisms that so that workers affected by COVID-19 do not suffer loss of income that might deter them from self-isolating to contain the spread of the virus. Global supply chains have already been disrupted by COVID-19, which have led to re reduced manufacturing and factory closures. This is a risk that workers and jobs linked to the global economy will be forced to work part-time for less income or lose their jobs altogether, which I'm sure some of you are seeing. Yep. And the other topic that uh, we wanted to uh, talk about it uh, one of the impacts that may or may not happen uh, during uh, you know those hard times uh, that uh, we're experiencing right now. Uh, it could be COVID or it can be any you know other large-scale uh, uh, disaster. Yeah. And uh, like the topic that we wanted to discuss is COVID-19 and mass uh, surveillance. Yeah, and usually the common thread is a. Uh invisible threat of some kind. Mm. By far the most significant and form of, uh, by far most significant and from a civil society perspective, the most dangerous development in response to the coronavirus is the apparent political attempt to massively expand mass surveillance and, contr and control society. In this context, in, in this context, NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden warned of the emergence of an architectural architecture of oppression. The flu-like coronavirus may serve as a rationale or a pretext for the introduction of, a st of strategic measures to expand monitoring and control of an increasingly uneasy society. The most important instruments currently under discussion by several governments include the introduction of applications for tracing contacts across society, the establishment of units to enforce the tracing and isolation of citizens, the introduction of digital biometric ID cards to control and regulate participation in social and professional activities, the extended control of travel and payment transactions, including the, about, uh, including the cancellation of using cash, the creation of a legal basis for access to and intervene in citizens' biological systems by governments or corporations based on so-called compulsory 
compulsory vaccinations. In the U.S., former President Bill Clinton discussed the introduction of a national network of contact tracers with government with governors of various states in April. The governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, then announced that together with billionaire and former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg, he would create a contact tracing army with up to 17,000 contact tracers for New York. Meanwhile, in the UK and many other countries, governments are calling for the introduction of biometric immunity passports and presenting them as the allegedly only way out of the primarily politically motivated lockdown. The British Tonus Tony, the British Tony Blair Institute called for the expansion of techno technological surveillance to combat the coronavirus. In the U.S., the Silicon Valley data analysis company Palantar is, is to play a key role in setting up the, the data platform for monitoring the already declining spread of the coronavirus. Palantar is known for its IT projects with intelligent agencies and the military and was funded by U.S. billionaire and Trump supporter Peter Thiel. In Israel, contact monitor monitoring of the civilian population is carried out by the domestic intelligence service Shin Bin, using programs from the notorious NSO group known for its spyware used to monitor civilian and human rights activists around the world. Countries like Russia and China also want to massively expand the surveillance of the population in the wake of the alleged corona crisis, but will most likely do so independently of the U.S. The idea that a pandemic can be used to expand control of the population is not new. As early as 2010, the American Rockefeller Foundation described a lockstep scenario in a report on future technological and social developments, in which current events were anticipated with impressive accuracy. At the time, the scenario was conceived as a kind of authoritarian worst case. Meanwhile, more than 500 scientists have warned in an open letter against unprecedented surveillance of a society through contact tracing apps. The so-called Center for Human Security at John Hopkins University, which is the heart of the COVID-19 pandemic management and which has contributed greatly to the global escalation through its misleading charts, is also very closely linked to the U.S. security apparatus and has been involved in some of its earlier simulations and operations. In general, cooperation with private actors to achieve geostrategic goals is not new or unusual phenomenon in U.S. foreign and security policy. For instance, Microsoft founder Bill Gates, the most important private sponsor of the WHO, the vaccine industry and biometric ID projects, financed a global health program of the U.S. Council on Foreign Relations as early as 2003, which is concerned with the question of how policy influences geopolitics and conversely how health policy can use can be used to achieve geostrategic goals yeah it's uh it's interesting like we, we try to present facts and opinions based on our understanding of the situation without twisting uh, them one way too yeah, far I'm trying to stay right down the middle of what we could find yeah, Having it one way will get you stuck in a cubicle. So please explore different opinions about the issue so you are empowered with your own understanding. There are so many resources and competition online that you got to present something crazy in order to attract some attention. And uh, like ourselves, we focus on veterans' issues and how they can get resolved with the current system.
which is 90% VA and the rest local savings and programs. But uh, our own survival instincts and critical thinking should encourage to disseminate the trustworthy information. Yeah, and so this is the best we have came up with and what we have found. But definitely look into anything that anybody's saying and try to figure it out for yourself. Yeah, like uh, looking at uh, like New Zealand, uh, like last hundred days, uh, no COVID cases. Or Denmark, uh, like it's interesting what the doctors saying. So they don't wear masks and the life goes on as, uh, as it's been, as it's normal. Mm. And so, you know, if uh, somebody's uh, talking too much about something, you know, there might be a reason. And uh, as always, do you have any movie, book, uh, or stuff to recommend? Yeah, so there's a, a good book called Influence by Robert Cialdani. And it's a different way of looking at things. Check it out. Um, and uh, to end the podcast, a uh, quote or words of uh, wisdom of the day. Keep steadily before, before you the fact that all true success depends at last upon yourself. Uh, said by uh, Theodore uh, T. Hunger. Uh, that's it, guys. Uh, thank you for listening. Until next time, over and out. Thank you.